0: I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I'm going to be talking to one of my favorite people, Ginny Gentles. She's the Director of Education Freedom Center at IWF. Hey, Ginny. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming on. Um, We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is school choice. First, tell our visitors, you've been on before, but it's been a while. Um, Tell our listeners, what is the Education Freedom Center uh, that you run at IWF?
1: Well, we launched the Education Freedom Center in April of last year, 2022. And it was in response to the school closures and the awakening that parents had that their, quote unquote, good schools, their neighborhood residentially assigned schools weren't so good. Uh, And they did not treat their students uh, very well or prioritize academics. And so we uh, feel strongly that that expanding education opportunities, expanding school choice or education freedom programs is a big part of the the solution to these unresponsive and heavily bureaucratic school districts. And we're here to advocate for school choice. We're also ready to address the concerns that parents are are having and advocate for other solutions like academic transparency and ensuring that that parents' uh, rights are, are protected in schools.
0: All incredibly important issues. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit about what drives people to consider school choice. You know, it's very interesting if you talk to people, some people are not aware of this movement. And I mean, I'm talking about, you know, people who don't necessarily work in policy or politics might not sort of be aware of the school choice movement. And certainly post-COVID and during COVID, there, you mentioned this awakening. Um, people really did wake up to this m- movement, to this effort. And now we are post-COVID and we're dealing with some of the learning loss um, from COVID. But, it, but the schools were kind of in bad shape for a lot longer than, and I think that's kind of an important thing because I do want to talk about some recent scores that came out. But can you kind of touch on that a little bit? You know, you were in the school choice fight way before COVID, before the Great Awakening, right? Schools have been kind of a mess for a long time.
1: Well, they certainly have had their moments where things were maybe starting to turn around. There was this uh, unification of what was called the education reform movement, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, and a real prioritization of getting um, academic achievement gaps closed like making sure that there was prior t- prioritization of, of academic instruction. And it was all talked about in the terms of accountability. And to be honest, I was always kind of the the ugly, awkward stepchild at, at the table being like, I don't know, I kind of think we just need to expand education options and opportunities and introduce competition and raw, uh, raw school choice. But the accountability kind of was was the, the big thing um, back then. And we did see some improvement in uh what what we'll probably talk about today and that's the nape scores the the nation's report card that we have here in the us and um some turning around of of some of these problems that we've had in education Uh, all of that's gone Gone way by the, way in the in the rearview mirror at this point, and uh, test scores were declining uh, before schools closed, and have that those have just ac- accelerated ever since then. And accountability is uh, just not really something that that people talk about anymore. There's certainly no unification in an education reform movement, and there isn't a real prioritization of of academics and holding schools responsible for their core responsibility, which is teaching basics like math and and reading. And so all of that's kind of bleak, but the good news in that um, is that there is this parent awakening, and there has been um, great strides when it comes to improving and expanding school choice. Just instead of trapping kids in these failing schools that just don't care about them, let them out. And um, inject competition so that the schools wake up and start educating kids better.
0: You know, I do want to talk about that academic achievement gap that you mentioned um, and the nation's report card, but also this new poll that came out called the Program for International Student Assessment. And I guess this is called the PISA scores. And this measures not just the United States, but around the world and also offers sort of comparison Mm -hmm. um, for U.S. students against other kids in uh, around the world. Um, Their latest data on math achievement is really concerning. It shows the lowest U.S. math scores recorded in the history of the PISA math test, which began in 2003. So twenty years lowest school in twenty in twenty years. See, I'm good at math. I can do that. I figured that out. It also, uh, the a quote from the report: School closures explain explain only eleven percent of the variation in countries' test scores. Nearly ninety percent is attributed to other. They say unclear reasons. I think we can probably figure out those reasons. But what has been the reaction in the education world, and just in general in the media? To these scores,
1: well, Julie, I kind of wonder if we're getting a little bit numb to all of this bad news and all of the data. Like we we have the nation's report card or NAEP scores—that's the nationwide data—and then each test has their own state assessment. And parents and people in the education reform movement will will take a look at the test scores that come out of the the state assessment. And now we have this latest data from the international test and it's all bad it's just all bad it's all bad and and um, we use really dramatic terms understandably when describing it like, these are alarming these are historic losses. this is you know the the most extreme terms that you can think about that's what we apply when we when we write and and read about uh, these test scores and I worry that we're getting numb to them. But I, let's let's talk about some of this data, but I, I really wanna talk about what the real life consequences are for students before we do that. It, when, we, when we have this barrage or tsunami of bad data coming, um, it, it means something for those students' futures. And so we need to take it seriously. We can't get numb. We have to recognize that historically low test scores, these drops in in math, mean that these students lifetime earning potential is dropping dramatically as well and when we see the huge gaps when it's the lower performing students that are doing even worse they have the the more dramatic declines that means that we're going to have a portion of our society that isn't going to be able to you know count change just you know do very basic right. math related skills and we're going to be responsible For that portion of of society. So lifetime earning potential, lifetime um, educational attainment will be lower. A portion of the population that's just not going to be functional is going to be higher and uh, economic growth, GDP, all of those things are going to be impacted. So when we're talking about these test scores and more numbers that are just bad news, let's think about the real life consequences for the students and for the future workforce
0: yeah it's critical it's it's really terrifying you know you are a school ch- you're in the business of advocating and talking about school choice um and this is all a part of sort of ed reform let's let's reform the education system mm-hmm. and for us we believe in giving people more choice in the marketplace um you have a podcast let me i'm going to say it wrong systems Students over Systems, which is such a great title. Thank you. And that really points to this idea of we should be putting the students first, and that includes the money. Um, The money should be going to the families, not a broken system. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to talk to you a little bit about how one of the, and to me, one of the drivers of school choice is informing people about how bad these schools are, which you do a great job because you do you take those nation's report cards. And as the, each state comes out, you have, you put up a lot of blogs on, on these, re- on the larger report and then the state-based report. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we're, so, you know, so you're, you're telling people, look, this is, this is the state of education in this country. And one of the things that isn't helping in this, these math scores is that they are the entire state of California and than many other regions are starting to adopt these reformist pseudoscientific ways of teaching math. Mm -hmm. And some think that this trend will go national. We had that happen in Virginia where um, under Northam, they tried to get rid of, and, and honestly, I don't know what the state of Virginia is in terms of advanced math, but they tried to get rid of advanced math as part of an equity thing. It might have just been Fairfax. I can't remember exactly.
1: Oh, no, this was a statewide push to to be like California when it comes to math. That's
0: right. And so how important do you think it is, um, you know, to talk about these reforms, these sorts of educational trends, That they did this, they did some sort of newfangled um, teaching and reading as well, didn't they? A couple years, many years ago, or or maybe they're doing it every couple years, where they try out these new things, and it leaves a generation of kids unable to read. Um, How important is it to explain to parents that sometimes in these schools they're like they run experiments that don't go well, and ultimately it's the kids who suffer, and then you talk about a lifetime of earning potential being impacted.
1: Well, I think you're right that the data is helpful to to explain the risk of of being like California and following what they've uh, just adopted with their new math framework. And both you and I have interviewed Lance Izumi uh, from California. And in my students over systems with a conversation with him, um, he talked about the fact that if if California sneezes and the rest of the country gets a a cold, unfortunately, these ideas do spread. And uh, fortunately, uh, when we've got Uh, NAEP data, we can compare across states and see, you know what, (laughs) that state's not doing very well. They're not educating their their children well, let's say, in a topic like math. We want to to not do what they're doing. We don't want to implement this framework uh, that encourages not teaching algebra in eighth grade and, uh, you know, encourages these these progressive ideas in math instruction that uh, gets children away from rigorous um, skill acquisition and knowledge acquisition. Um, and uh, the PISA results, actually, some academics ha- within the U.S. have taken our state-by-state um, state responses or our, uh, results from this international exam and compared our states to other countries because we do need to think about our state's future workforces, right? So a state like Massachusetts, if you line it up internationally, uh, I think it would be something like, like 16th um, when, you, when you compare it to, to other countries, which, which sounds pretty good, Uh, especially when you think that the U.S. is 28th of 37 OECD countries, and that's the more advanced country. So we're below, as a nation, we're below the OECD average, but Massachusetts is not they're doing okay? Hmm. So I can't speak to Massachusetts math curriculum. I'm not a curriculum person. Um, and uh, but, but it
0: isn't. It probably isn't California.
1: It's probably not whatever the heck this massive new um, math framework is in California. They have not caught that uh, that cold um, that that California is trying to share with the country. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, Virginia resisted, and in part because of parent pushback um, to to doing this same thing. So I do think we do need to look at the data and recognize like where the states are having uh, better results and understand what they're doing. When we look at the PISA results, again, that's this international comparison. Um, Always, always, always you see countries like Singapore, um, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea up at the, up at the top. And there is literally a curriculum called Singapore math that some, some states and um, districts have, have implemented. And that kind of seems like a good idea if Singapore is like number one by far across the over 80 nations that, um, were examined in the in the PISA results. Uh, so that's, again, another way of using this data of saying like, oh, well, that country's obviously consistently performing well and educating their children well. How do we bring that to our state um, or to our district? And you can. You can introduce uh, Singa- Singapore math. And there's aspects of that math instruction that are proven um, to, to be more effective than this kind of loosey-goosey um, California type type approach, which clearly isn't working for the U.S. on average. And then when you drill down to, uh, to some some states, it's it's really discouraging um, when you look at at uh, D.C. and West Virginia and some of the other states. Comparing those to to nations that we just you wouldn't think that that an, um, a prosperous nation like America would be performing. The students would be performing like very very uh,
0: poor nations in uh, in the world it's, uh, it's so scary when I think about some of these test scores in math. It makes me never want to cross a bridge in California, or go up in a tall building. Uh, well,
1: that's a real life consequence. I was talking about education attainment and lifetime earnings, but like we've got to get like planes
0: in the sky and bridges built, and you sure as heck need math for that, right? <laughs> yeah, you get you can only import so many people from young people from Singapore, right, to build those bridges. But
1: well, the, the other aspect of the of the data is that. Uh, Um, wealthier students, students from what they call more privileged backgrounds consistently do well. So you do have these academic achievement gaps within the U.S. And there are going to be students who perform well in the U.S. and are going to compare well to other countries. Um, But we're failing as a nation if we have a subset of our of our students that are doing okay, and the majority of our students
0: who are, are not learning. I'd also like to talk to you about how safety I and there are some Pisa data polling data here that's interesting. I found it actually very low, um weirdly low um, when you ask kids about safety. Um, according to the Pisa poll, thirteen percent of students report not feeling safe in the hallways, cafeteria, bathrooms, and other locations. Another nine percent reported feeling unsafe in classrooms themselves, fourteen. Percent reported that they cannot work well um, in most or all lessons due to disciplinary climate that is not favorable to learning. Teachers are also reporting that they're witnessing violence between students. So that's significant, but I was kind of, I was actually kind of surprised. I, I live in, um, in Alexandria, Virginia, and we went viral when the kids went back to school um, after COVID. There were so many fights. Um, on buses and the hallways and the cafeteria, there was an Instagram account dedicated to it, um, to all the brawls, and these were significant brawls. We had a stabbing, we had a shooting. Um, it was pretty scary around here after COVID, and it it's still scary. Um, we have not gotten past that. But how much does violence contribute to this desire for school choice, or again, this awakening among parents that, gosh, you know? If I, had the op- if I could take the $18,000 that Alexandria spends per year, per student, per pupil, $36,000 if your child has an IEP or special needs, and spend it on a school that was more secure, that didn't employ restorative justice practices, um, which means zero discipline, essentially, um, does that, do you, you know, in terms of parents who suddenly are interested in school choice, is that a driving factor? Oh, it's always been a driving
1: factor. I think that people have histu- assumed historically that parents were wanting to uh, use a scholarship or what we've called a voucher in the past, uh, primarily for academic reasons. It's always been primarily for safety reasons. And that's because the school, to- in part, because the school choice movement was initially focused on serving students in in low income um. Uh, from low-income families in urban school districts that were unsafe, and those those schools were failing the students um, academically. But number one priority of the of the parent was to get them out and put them into a, a safe environment. So yes, absolutely the the discipline, safety, ability to just. Calm, be calm and focus and learn. That is a that is a huge priority for students. I'm personally thankful, and I know you are too, Julie. That that my kids aren't in in my neighborhood public schools. So, uh, my county, Arlington County, uh, kicked out the school resource officers because that was the cool and trendy right. thing to do. Right. And uh, my neighborhood, my neighborhood middle school, I think they called the police. Like like. 3 dozen times by April of that school school district. So they kicked them out but they still need them because the students were completely out of out of control. I'm so glad my younger daughter is not there as she's in a very calm small Disciplined in a just kind of straightforward way, not in a harsh way environment. And she can relax and she can learn. So that is that is a is a priority. The other thing that was interesting to me from these PISA results and the responses they got from students is just how distracted American students were by digital devices. At oh I'm glad,
0: yes, I'm glad we're gonna talk about that. And I wanna I, I do have some questions about that. What do you think is the role of phones and you you know you mentioned we both have our kids out of the public schools yep. and are in pr- private schools and my kids schools have a zero tolerance policy for phones
1: Yeah, so my younger daughter's school, zero tolerance. You will not bring a smartwatch. You will not bring a phone into into the school building. If you have to have it uh, for reaching your parent after school, it will stay in your backpack outside of the the classroom. Uh, My older daughter's Catholic high school has really been trying to crack down on phones in, in classrooms. It's in their policy, and the teachers were supposed to be enforcing it, but the PISA results actually... Showed that the the teachers at the Catholic high school are not alone worldwide. Uh, it doesn't work. Like keeping students uh, from being distracted by digital devices does not work if the if the the school has a uh, general policy of like please don't have your, right. your device right. out in the classroom and that the teachers are trying to stop it. No, when the when the schools internationally ban. The devices and say absolutely not. You see uh, a significant drop in the number of students saying that they're distracted, and you see a significant improvement in test scores. And so that's why we see so many
0: countries being like, nope, we're done. No well, more what's smartphones. The thing too, in the PISA study, in the PISA poll, they found that 25% of kids reported getting distracted by other students' phones. Oh, now yeah. I have I I know exactly how this works. My son went to and I boy, I raised Kane about this because my son went on a camping trip, it, a boy scout camping trip, right? Where they're supposed to be, you know, outside and doing tough things and he comes home and I said, "What did you guys do at night?" And, you know, instead of playing board games or telling haunted story, you know, ghost stories, They all piled around the one kid who managed to smuggle in a PlayStation or a, you know, a switch or something like that. And I wrote the, the Boy Scout leader and I said, why was this allowed? And my son said, they all just like piled around And watch the kid play, which is what kids do on YouTube. They watch kids will watch YouTube videos of other people playing video games. I do not get this. This is my old lady Gen X moment here, but I do not understand this. And um, and so it is such. It's a drug. It is such. And and they again, you know, they they could have had fun, but they didn't. Um, And and
1: yeah, and Julie, they the the results uh, from the PISA. Evaluation said that the students who report feeling nervous when devices aren't 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 near have significantly lower math performance, life satisfaction, and stress resistance. So you know they they, it is it is an addiction, right? They
0: they're nervous. And again, and again, this is why when you put students over systems, you know maybe you have a kid who is you know my oldest is about to turn seventeen, does not have a phone and doesn't want one. Now I think he's like must he's the unicorn like who is this kid right but he he says i i don't need one i'm fine and then my middle one you know he has one and he he's in a lot of sports so he has one and he loves his phone but you know it is it it you think about i could choose i could choose schools based on you know one would be better that has a really strict phone policy for my middle son who seems to be more interested in you know in having a device um So again, school choice gives the parents that control to choose an environment that's best for their kids.
1: Right. Absolutely. And it creates that competitive effect of like when when parents. Well, if you if you look at like even open enrollment kind of a school choice where where um, some states allow for students to go to schools In other school districts, without that school district charging them, that's not the case where we live. But in in other states, um, there are policies in place like that. And if students are performing better in a school district that bans phones from the from the classroom, that puts them in the pouches or requires them to not not uh, come into the classroom at all, if those students are performing better, the neighboring school district can notice that and then they'll be inspired to a similar policy. So so we do like the fact that it, you know, rising tide lifts all boats, good policies can be uh, inspired and shared. shared.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny, I love talking to you always about this subject and education in general and the welfare of kids. I know you care so much about this issue and 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 really building good systems for kids and families where can people find out more about the education freedom center
1: we can be found on the iwf website iwf.org/efc and we also have a weekly teachers union report card that can be found on the independent women's network and that website i think is IWnetwork. Is it org oh.com oh, iwnetwork.com we've done about Uh, 11, maybe 12 uh, weekly teachers union report cards
0: that I encourage people to read there. Well, the last thing I want to say here, Jenny, is we are recording this in the Christmas season. Um, It's not quite Christmas yet, but it's coming up. And I really appreciate... That oh, look at you. I'm ready for Christmas. I was about to say, I love that we we did not mean to coordinate our red and green. And now with the necklace, well, I do have little ribbon uh, ribbon earrings. So we are very festive. You look great and I love I love the color coordination. So happy holidays to everyone. Happy holidays, Julie. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. That was fun. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, ACAS, Google Play, YouTube, or iwf.org. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.